You're listening to So So Speaks, a different kind of podcast where each week we discuss everything and anything that matters. No boundaries, no limitations, just real conversations, real stories, and real facts. What's up, guys? Sona here, and I am back with part three of Was Jeffrey Epstein Murdered? So since the last episode, the Netflix documentary on Jeffrey Epstein called Jeffrey Epstein Filthy Rich dropped, I actually wanted to wait until it dropped to see if there would be any new information or information that wasn't previously disclosed. But most of the information in there was pretty much information that had already been known. It was already essentially common knowledge. However, for those who perhaps knew nothing about Jeffrey Epstein, it was a pretty good recap of everything. I mean, they spoke about everything that was important. But um, towards the end, however, they touched on his important connections and how he possibly was running some sort of blackmailing ring against the powerful. And they didn't go into detail. I mean, I don't blame them though. Especially after what I found out and what you're about to find out in this episode, I don't blame them because things are not what they seem at all and they would really be going into dangerous territory at that point but I really hope that they do one day especially with a platform that big you know you never know anyway one thing they did mention that I didn't know about was that uh, Jeffrey Epstein's brother did an independent autopsy on him essentially Jeffrey Epstein's brother is convinced that he was murdered so he got a forensic pathologist to do another autopsy on him and that pathologist says that his autopsy suggests homicide rather than suicide. But New York City's chief medical examiner stands by her conclusion that Epstein died by hanging himself. So the person who conducted Jeffrey Epstein's second autopsy is Michael Baden. He is a private pathologist who was briefly the chief medical examiner for New York City in the late 1970s before going on to become a celebrity forensic witness. So he is very well known in his field. He believes that the evidence points to homicide rather than suicide in Epstein's death because of three fractures of Epstein's hyoid bone and thyroid cartilage, injuries that he claims are more indicative of homicidal strangulation than suicide, which is super interesting considering the circumstances that surrounded Jeffrey Epstein's death in terms of the fact that he wasn't even being checked on or the fact that the cameras conveniently weren't working. You know, like I I've been saying it's not even a stretch to assume that he was murdered. Personally, I believe he was, especially after all of the research that I've done and what I'm about to tell you today. I highly, highly believe that he was murdered. And supposedly, according to Mint Press, he had told people close to him that he was afraid for his life. You know, if that's true, then all signs point to murder. One other thing I wanted to mention is to do with Arthur Shapiro, who I talked about in part two. Now, I don't remember if I mentioned this in part two. I don't think I did, and I don't think it was in any of the documents that I looked into. But in my research for this part, for part three, I found out that Shapiro worked for a law firm that was representing the Limited, which is Les Wexner's company. And right before his death, Shapiro was managing Les Wexner's account. Now, isn't that interesting? Shapiro actually came up a bit in my research for part three. So once I talk about that, everything will kind of come full circle, which is insane. But that's not even a quarter of what you're about to find out. (laughs) 
So as promised, in this episode, I'm going to talk a bit more about the Black Book and Jeffrey Epstein's supposed ties to intelligence. But before we get into that, I want to clear up two mistakes that I made in the last episode, and that was to do with the dates. Um, for some reason, I mixed up the conviction dates. So just to clear it up, Jeffrey Epstein was convicted in 2008, the first time, then again in 2019. I don't know why I mixed the dates up, but I said 2008. Five at some point. So it was 2008 and 2019. Now, most of the time when I catch mistakes, I re-record the clip. But by the time I caught this mistake or these mistakes, the clips had already been edited into the episode. Which actually brings me to my next point. Whenever I realize that there's a mistake and it's post-edit, um, I always include it in the description. So please check the description. Also, in the description is where I have my social media handles, but that's also where I explain what the episode is about, etc. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's get into it. So back to the famous black book. Now there seems to have been a lot of confusion circulating on Twitter regarding the black book. Um, I think the fact that it's called the black book, nicknamed the black book, well, it's called it because one, it is actually black, but also for the other meaning, um, I think that gives it kind of an ominous reputation. And, you know, don't get me wrong, rightly so. But a lot of people forget that it was actually an address book. What a lot of people actually don't realize is what makes the book pertinent is not necessarily all the names that are in it, but the names that are annotated. And that's why, that's the reason why I spoke about Alfredo Rodriguez in part two, because he is very important when it comes to the black book, because he is the one, not only did he have it in his possession, but he is supposedly the one who also annotated it. So he is the one that circled the names that are circled, which you can see uh, online, the black book is available online, the redacted and unredacted version, and there are specific names in there that have a circle around them. I'm not saying that only the names that are circled are the ones involved, that's not what I'm saying, but not everyone that is in the book is necessarily involved. So allegedly, about 50 of the entries, including those of many of Epstein's suspected victims, were circled by Rodriguez. So Donald Trump, Courtney Love, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and lawyer Alan Dershowitz may have been identified by Rodriguez as material witnesses to Jeffrey Epstein's crimes against young girls. Some of the circled entries include additional notes, one address in New York City, for instance, is marked as an apartment for models, and two names have next to them, written next to them, witness, and next to the victims' names, because they also had the names of the, the girls in there, and written next to their names was massage, which was obviously the code for the girls that were being, you know, raped and molested by Epstein and his friends. So in the FBI file, it actually mentions that Alfredo Rodriguez had in his possession one bound black book, so the black book, and two stapled handwritten set of documents on yellow legal pad paper. So our knowledge on whether all the names in the book are relevant or just people he knew depends on what Alfredo Rodriguez wrote on those notes, which unfortunately have not been released by the FBI. All I can say is that I truly hope that... <laughs> 
this case didn't die with Epstein and that they continue to work on it behind the scenes. Um, obviously, the FBI is pretty secretive, so we won't really know. But due to the fact that so many important and powerful people seem to be involved, I'm not holding my breath, you know, which is sad when you think about it. It makes you think that this whole concept of justice that the U.S. claims to promote might just be an illusion. So any and every name you can imagine being in the Black Book are in there. I'm not going to go through all of them, but both the redacted and unredacted versions of the Black Book are online and easily accessible. And if those names are anything to go by, there are a lot of powerful people who are probably celebrating the fact that Epstein is no longer here. That being said, there has been some speculation that he was running a giant blackmailing ring and that he had hidden cameras everywhere. And Mint Press discusses this in a very interesting series written on Epstein by Whitney Webb called The Jeffrey Epstein Scandal Too Big to Fail. So that's what we're going to discuss next. According to Mint Press, Epstein ran a sexual blackmail operation involving minors that was connected to intelligence agencies. It was allegedly one of many such operations that have taken place for decades, developing from the relationship forged between the CIA, organized crime, and Israeli intelligence shortly after World War II. Epstein is only the latest incarnation of a much older, more extensive, and sophisticated operation that offers a frightening window into how deeply tied the U.S. government is to the modern-day equivalents of organized crime. Now, I have to say, props to Whitney Webb and to Mint Press because this series is the most amazing body of work I've ever read. It is well-researched. It is not exaggerated in a sense that you don't think you're reading some conspiracy theories. Everything makes sense. Everything fits into place. They have taken all the pieces of the puzzle and fit them in to make a whole. And I'm not even exaggerating. My episode is not going to do this body of work justice. They have really outdone themselves. And I'm, I am, when I read this for the first time, I was floored. I actually couldn't sleep. I'm not even joking. I promise I'm telling you the truth. I could not sleep because you realize that everything you knew or everything you thought you knew was essentially a lie. You don't really want to think about the government in that way, but it's pretty scary stuff. So I did my best to pick out the most important information, but everything that they have written about, everything that they talk about is pertinent. But I tried to tailor the most important parts that are relevant to this episode specifically because they do give a lot of background information, um, background context, which I just didn't have the time to include. But let me tell you guys, buckle up because it gets crazy. So supposedly Epstein bugged certain areas and rooms in his various houses to record the interactions that transpired between his guests and the underage girls that he exploited. And this material he allegedly stored on his private island, Little St. James. Now, according to Mint Press, these blackmail tactics are well known and used extensively by intelligence communities. In the U.S. alone, the CIA operated numerous sexual blackmail operations throughout the country, employing prostitutes to target foreign diplomats in what the Washington Post once nicknamed the CIA's love traps. If one goes even further back into the U.S. historical record, it becomes apparent that these tactics and their use against powerful political and influential figures significantly predates the CIA and even its precursor 
Officer, the Office of Strategic Services. In fact, they were pioneered years earlier by none other than the American Mafia. This is something that goes way back, and Mint Press actually tracks it from its inception.、Um, I don't have time, unfortunately, to discuss it all, but I promise you, it's worth a read. Just know that figures who were influential in American organized crime during and after Prohibition were directly engaged in sexual blackmail operations, and that some of them developed close ties with the FBI. Epstein was able to run the sordid operation for so long precisely because his was only the latest incarnation of a much older, more extensive operation that began in the 1950s and perhaps even earlier. So supposedly, the one who ran this blackmailing ring prior to Jeffrey Epstein was a man called Roy Cohn. Now he was a lawyer, among other things. He was actually also Donald Trump's mentor. So just listen to this: Cohn was closely associated with numerous celebrities, famous politicians, and political operatives. Many of his birthday parties over the years attracted famous figures such as artist Andy Warhol. Fashion designer Calvin Klein and comedian Joey Adams, as well as notable political figures, including former mayor of New York Abraham Beam and then assemblyman from Brooklyn and future senator Chuck Schumer, among others. In 1979, Margaret Trudeau, mother of current Prime Minister of Canada Justin Trudeau, attended Cohn's birthday party, and of course Donald Trump, who became Cohn's protege in the mid 1970s, was a frequent. Fixture at social events held in Cohn's honor. That's not even the half of it. Okay, just like Epstein, he was connected to the who's who of society, including the first ever FBI director J. Edgar Hoover, the same J. Edgar Hoover, by the way, who abused his power by amassing secret files on political leaders, collected evidence illegally, and intimidated and threatened people, including sitting presidents. Like this is crazy. He was also a liaison between. Between the criminal underworld and the rich and famous, which made him untouchable, and he was actually known. His nickname was the Fixer. So allegedly, under the Reagan administration, Cohn flourished even more because supposedly Reagan had ties to the mob as well. Now that's a story for another time. But Roy Cohn was also not the only one close to the Reagan administration who was running sexual blackmail operations that abused and exploited children. In fact, there were, according to Mint Press, several figures, all of whom shared direct connections to CIA director William. Casey and other close friends and confidants of Cohn, but despite the fact that there were several sexual trafficking operations connected to Cohn and the Reagan administration, after Cohn's death, it appears that it was one other individual who became the central figure in the powerful network that Cohn had cultivated. Now, I'll give you one guess who that figure is. Exactly, Jeffrey Epstein. So now this is where Jeffrey Epstein comes in. For those of you that don't know, Jeffrey Epstein was actually a teacher at one point. He taught at the Dalton School, which is Upper East Side, Manhattan, and he taught physics and mathematics. However, in 1976, he was actually fired for poor performance. The interesting thing, however, is while he was teaching there, is where he met Alan Greenberg. Now, Alan Greenberg's kids went to the Dalton School. He was the chief executive officer of Bear Stearns. But what is even more interesting is. 
realized that he was very good friends with Roy Cohn. So, ironically, Epstein ended up joining Bear Stearns in 1976 as a low-level junior assistant to a floor trader. He, however, worked himself up all the way to the point where he became a limited partner. However, in 1981, he was asked to leave Bear Stearns for being guilty of a Reg D violation, which, from what I can gather, and don't quote me because this is not my area of expertise, has something to do with selling off financial assets. It's a federal law, so he violated it in some way. However, like I said, don't quote me. Now, in August 1981, Epstein founded his own consulting firm, Intercontinental Assets Group Incorporated, which assisted clients in recovering stolen money from fraudulent brokers and lawyers. Epstein described his work at this time as being a high-level bounty hunter. He told friends that he worked sometimes as a consultant for governments and the very wealthy to recover embezzled funds, while at other times he worked for clients who had embezzled funds themselves. Now, Epstein also stated to some people at the time that he was an intelligence agent, and during the 1980s, he had an Austrian passport that had his photo but a false name. The passport showed his place of residence in Saudi Arabia, which is ironic because during this period, one of Epstein's clients was the Saudi Arabian businessman, aka arms dealer, Adnan Kasogi, and he was a middleman in transferring American weapons from Israel to Iran as part of the Iran-Contra affair. And for those of you that don't know, the Iran-Contra affair was a huge U.S. political scandal in the 80s because the National Security Council became involved in secret weapons transactions and other activities that either were prohibited by the U.S. Congress or violated the stated public policy of the government. Kasogi was one of several defense contractors that Epstein knew, and in the mid-80s, Epstein traveled multiple times between the United States, Europe, and Southeast Asia. Now, regarding this Austrian passport, it was allegedly given to him by Ronald Lauder, as in Este Lauder's son, and he was, at the time, the American ambassador in Austria, appointed by Ronald Reagan. Around this time is also when Jeffrey Epstein met Les Wexner. Now, Les Wexner and Ronald Lauder, Lauder, by the way, who was also friends with Roy Cohn, they are both part of an organization called the Mega Group. Now, the Mega Group, which I'll talk about in a second, also has ties to this blackmail network. It also has ties to Israel and Mossad. Mossad, for those of you that aren't aware, is the CIA equivalent for Israel. Jeffrey Epstein was deeply connected to the mega group and its associates. Two of the associates, specifically, you probably heard of, Ghislaine Maxwell and her father, Robert Maxwell, and her father was actually part of Mossad. Mint Press describes this network as being a criminal and unconscionable blackmail operation that has been run by influential figures hidden in plain sight for over half a century, exploiting and destroying the lives of untold numbers of children in the process. Over the years, it has grown many branches and spread well beyond the United States. All of this has taken place with the full knowledge and blessing of top figures in the world of philanthropy 
philanthropy and in the U.S. government and intelligence communities, with great influence over several presidential administrations, particularly since the rise of Ronald Reagan and continuing through to Donald Trump. Far from being the work of a single intelligence agency or a single country, the power structure revealed by this network connected to Epstein is nothing less than a criminal enterprise that transcends nationality and is willing to use and abuse children in the pursuit of ever more power, wealth, and control, existing for decades and willing to use any means necessary to cover its tracks, this criminal racket has become so integrated into the levers of power in the United States and well beyond that it is truly too big to fail. The fact that this is considered as being something that is too big to fail is actually terrifying and I'm not even halfway through the episode yet. So now I'm going to talk about the mega group. The Mega Group is a secretive group of billionaires formed in 1991 by Charles Bronfman and Les Wexner. Media profiles of the group painted as a loosely organized club of 20 of the nation's wealthiest and most influential Jewish businessmen focused on philanthropy and Jewishness, with membership dues upwards of 30,000 per year. However, several of its most prominent members have ties to organized crime. So the mega group's role in the Epstein case has garnered a lot of attention because the people that are part of this mega group have a penchant for pro-Israel and ethno-philanthropy. Ethno-philanthropy being philanthropy that benefits a single ethnic or ethno-religious group. And because many of the members are political donors in both the US and Israel, and the fact that a lot of the members have close ties to the governments of both countries as well as their intelligence agencies that has been raising a lot of eyebrows. For instance, the mega group has close ties to two businessmen who worked for Mossad, Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, and someone called Mark Rich. In addition to that, They also have ties to top Israeli politicians, including past and present prime ministers that have deep ties to Israelis' intelligence community, which is a given because Mossad reports directly to Israel's prime minister. Now remember, former prime minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, was in Jeffrey Epstein's Black Book. All of this is relevant because in May 1997, the Washington Post broke a story that a top U.S. official may have given sensitive data to Israel. What does this have to do with the mega group? Well, an investigation was launched in January because the NSA had intercepted a secure communication between a senior Israeli intelligence officer in Washington and a superior intelligence that referred to someone code-named, are you ready? Mega. And an attempt to obtain a sensitive American document was made. This is one year before anyone knew about the mega group. The officials at the time said that the context of the conversation led them to believe that Mega may be someone in the U.S. government who has provided information to the Israelis in the past. According to a source who viewed a copy of the NSA transcript of the conversation, the intelligence officer speaking in Hebrew said, The ambassador wants me to go to Mega to get a copy of this letter. The source said the 
supervisor in Tel Aviv rejected the request, saying, this is not something we use Mega for. Now, if that isn't some crazy... Okay, now we're getting into the crazier territory. And yes, it does get crazier. So as I mentioned in part one, former President Clinton flew on Jeffrey Epstein's private jet, the Lolita Express, multiple times. Upwards of 20, actually. So we can assume that they knew each other extremely well. Now, according to Mint Press, the Clinton family allegedly has ties to the same network as Jeffrey Epstein. So Bill Clinton was allegedly involved with the CIA when he was the governor of Mena, Arkansas, a town that would later become extremely well-known nationally as a hub for drug and arms smuggling and the training of CIA-backed far-right militias. Supposedly, the Mena Intermountain Regional Airport was used to stockpile and deliver arms and ammunition to the Nicaraguan contrast. The arms were sometimes exchanged for cocaine from South American cartels, which would then be sent back to Mina and used to fund covert CIA operations. And supposedly, this is what Bill Clinton was involved in. Now, I'm only touching on the tip of the iceberg because I have to focus on Jeffrey Epstein, but I do encourage you to go and read this on the Mint Press website because it's insane. Okay, so what does Clinton working with the CIA have to do with Epstein. Just a few years into the Clinton presidential administration, Les Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein would play a major role in Southern Air Transports, which is a CIA front company, relocation to Columbus, Ohio, leading to concerns among top Ohio officials that both men were not only working with the CIA, but that Wexner's company, The Limited, sought to use the CIA-linked airline for smuggling. Now, now, during this time, Epstein had substantial control of Wexner's finances. It was Epstein who orchestrated logistics for Wexner's business operation, including the limited. So why is this relevant? This is relevant because Southern Air Transport, SAT for short, was a cargo airline best known as a front company for the CIA and for its crucial role in the Iran-Contra scandal in the mid-80s. Now remember, I explained what the Iran-Contra scandal was, and this is relevant because it would explain Clinton's relationship with Epstein. Now going back to Les Wexner's company, The Limited, much of its logistics involved figures and companies connected to organizations organized crime, and U.S. intelligence. It is also important to remember, as I mentioned, that the SAT was well known for being a CIA front company prior to the efforts of Wexner trying to bring it to Columbus, Ohio. And Epstein himself worked previously for intelligence-linked figures such as Saudi arms dealer, as I mentioned earlier, Adnan Kasogi. Now, Wexner's involvement with SAT's relocation to Ohio made a lot of people think, namely, Ohio officials that these two, Epstein and Wexner, were involved with intelligence. But the interesting thing is that Epstein also had ties to Israeli intelligence, to Mossad. So where did his loyalties lie? 
So as we know, Epstein was a longtime friend of former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, who has long-standing and deep ties to Israel's intelligence community. Barak, who, by the way, was circle in Epstein's Black Book. Barak is also good friends with Les Wexner, whose foundation, by the way, gave him $2 million in 2004 for a still unspecified research program. According to Barak, he was first introduced to Epstein by former Israeli Prime Minister Shimon Perez, who eulogized Robert Maxwell at his funeral and had decades-long ties with the Bronfman family going back to the early 1950s, member Bronfman, co-founder of the mega group. Perez was also a frequent participant in program funded by Leslie Wexner in Israel and worked closely with the Mossad for decades. Do you see how this is all interconnected? It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. So Ehud Barak's relationship with Epstein is interesting because in 2015, a few years after Epstein's release from prison following his conviction for soliciting sex from a minor in 2008, Barak formed a company with him with the chief purpose of investing in an Israeli startup then known as Reporty. Now the company is called Carbon. It is supposedly a public safety tech company. However, it's not an ordinary tech company because it is deeply connected to the elite Israeli military intelligence division and they are possibly using their products to illegally survey governments. For instance, the company's executive team are all former members of different branches of Israeli intelligence, including the elite military intelligence unit, Unit 8200, a unit that is often linked to Israel's equivalent of the U.S. National Security Agency. Carbon is an Israeli startup that promises to revolutionize how calls are handled by emergency service providers as well as by governments, corporations, and educational institutions. Not long after it was founded by veterans of Israeli military intelligence, Carbon began to be specifically marketed as a solution to mass shootings in the United States that goes beyond the gun debate and improves the intelligence that armed emergency emergency responders receive before entering an armed shooter situation by providing video streaming and acoustic input from civilian smartphones and other devices connected to the Carbon network. For instance, Carbon's smartphone app extracts the following information from the phones on which it is installed. The device location, video live streamed from the smartphone to the call center, text messages in a two-way chat window, any data from a user's phone if they have the Carbon app and ESI net, and any information that comes over a data link, which Carbon opens in case the caller's voice link drops. Now, basically everything you need to be able to spy on someone is what this app can access. But wait, there's more. According to Carbon's website, this same information can also be obtained from any smartphone, even if it does not have have Carbon's app installed. If that phone calls a 911 call center that uses Carbon or merely any other number connected to Carbon's network, they have the access. That's crazy. And this is the company that Epstein was a part of. And this program is being used in the United States. So who was Epstein really working for? 
So according to a former high-ranking official in the Israeli military intelligence, Epstein's sexual blackmail enterprise was allegedly an Israeli intelligence operation run for the purpose of entrapping powerful individuals and politicians in the United States and abroad. He was allegedly introduced into this by Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, because he was Mossad, which is interesting because the general consensus is that Jeffrey Epstein didn't meet Ghislaine until after her father died. But now this person is saying that's not true at all, that it was actually Robert Maxwell who introduced him into this whole uh, operation. Now, apparently, Ghislaine Maxwell is also involved. Her and Epstein began a sexual blackmail operation with the purpose of extorting U.S. political and public figures on behalf of Israeli intelligence. Essentially, Epstein was seeking out rich and powerful individuals and trapping them with minors for the purpose of blackmail. He was a financial bounty hunter who hunted down embezzled funds and also hid stolen money for powerful people and governments. This explains Epstein's shady business activities in the New York and Palm Beach real estate markets from the mid-1980s to the late 1990s that were used to launder massive amounts of money for organized crime and intelligence. I'm assuming that the money for intelligence is what went into the arms dealing. That's that's my opinion. So it is likely that for this reason, Epstein's real estate activities during this time have been ignored, even though other aspects of his financial activities were heavily scrutinized. The ones that were involving his real estate ventures were ignored. One thing I also want to mention is the fact that Les Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein met in the mid-80s. Remember, Arthur Shapiro's murder occurred in 1985. And personally, I believe that that's the reason the FBI was looking into Arthur Shapiro's case in relation to Jeffrey Epstein. After that, Jeffrey Epstein was in control of not only Les Wexner's finances, but he was also given the house in New York. Somehow, I don't see that just happening over nothing, but that is my opinion. So anyway, there you have it. That is all the information I have to give you on Was Jeffrey Epstein Murdered? Part three, the final part. Now it is up to you to decide whether you believe this blackmailing ring exists and whether you believe intelligence is involved and whether you believe Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. Personally, I believe that Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. I do believe that he was part of this blackmailing ring and I do believe that this ring is bigger than we could imagine and does involve governments. The unfortunate thing is that children are having their lives ruined for for what? The bottom line is whether we know why or not it's bad it's wrong and it sucks because how can we go against an entity that is bigger than us as mint press said this is a network that has been in operation for decades and jeffrey epstein is but one tiny piece of the puzzle and there are so many parts to this puzzle that it's it's hard to tell where it starts and where it ends all we can hope is that the truth comes out one day but that more importantly the victims get the help that they need and 
find peace. And I hope that one day we can stop this ring so that other children don't have to go through this. That's all we can hope. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. I have so many more episode ideas. I have one coming soon, which has to do with France. So it's going to be a little bit different. I have to say thank you for listening. Uh, This started out as a hobby, but I'm getting a lot more listens lately. And I really appreciate it. I'm also going to try and upgrade my mic a bit because, yeah, I've been having some issues with sound. But thank you so much for listening. And I wish you the best wherever you are. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, they can't hold us back. We on another level. Yeah, it's that new age, ain't it something special? Yeah, we gon' change the game, we gon' live forever. Yeah, it's that new age, it's that new age. This is the new age. Now they wanna play, cause they tryna get paid.